Listening to a podcast that strives to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. Thanks so much for joining us. And also remember, if you're listening to me on Apple or iTunes podcasts, a five-star rating and review is greatly appreciated. In much of the evangelical world, the month of October is dedicated to appreciating our pastors. And I hope that at some point, uh, whether as an individual or as a congregation, you have the opportunity to, uh, to bless your pastor in some way. But what I wanted to do here on the MacCast is to devote a few episodes in October to that purpose. I want to talk about pastor appreciation. And I wanted to kick it off by interviewing a veteran pastor, uh, someone I deeply admire. I want to tell you a little about him. My guest today has served the church in a number of ways. He was discipled and trained for ministry in Akron, Ohio. He was elected pastor of First Assembly of God in Wadsworth, Ohio, and he served uh, over 16 years there as their senior pastor. He then uh, moved on to a very different kind of work for his denomination, the construction of a brand new uh, campground and retreat center in uh, Marengo, Ohio. That's uh, just north of Columbus. He was there for over four years and responsible for pretty much all the initial construction there. He also has served the body of Christ as an interim pastor for 11 years. Uh, he even served as a village councilman in Burbank, Ohio for five years. He is technically retired, put quotes around that, uh, but does continue to speak in churches when he has the opportunity. Pastor Roger Larison, welcome to the MacCast. Well, thank you, Matt. I'm grateful that you even thought to ask me. I'm I'm just so glad you can be here. We're breaking in. Uh, for those of you who follow me on social media, I have a brand new table that was made for this purpose to interview uh, guests of the podcast. And so we are breaking in the table this morning. So Roger is my first, uh, my first guest here. So um, Pastor, tell us uh, about your journey, um, because it, you didn't initially go into the ministry. It, there was a bit of a process to it into becoming a pastor. Well, that's right, Matt. You know, um, my, my journey to ministry was pretty much unconventional. Okay. Um, I was working for the city of Akron in their engineering department. And toward the end of my tenure with them, I was feeling a growing dissatisfaction with what I was doing. And yet I had a great job and loved the Lord and, and was grateful for the job God had given me. But this dissatisfaction, and I found over the years that for me, there's a five-part process to when God begins to move me in a new direction. Mm, okay. First, there is dissatisfaction with what I'm doing. <laughs> and for no reason, it just a growing dissatisfaction. And concurrently with that, there is a growing desire for more. 
Mm. And I was deeply involved in my church, attended early prayer gatherings, and was involved in lay ministry, and never related the two together that I would be involved in professional ministry. But with the dissatisfaction, with the growing desire for more, there was a time of preparation. And I just felt I wanted to get myself immersed, more biblically um, attuned. And so I started taking classes at the Moody Bible Institute hmm. Extension in Wyoga Lake near Akron. Okay. And um, it also concurrently with that, I was taking courses through our denomination, the Berean courses, mm. and uh, equip myself for whatever God would have me to do. Mm. Then there was a general call, a sense within my heart that there was something more that God wanted me to do. And then finally, Pastor Medor, who served as the pastor of the church at that time, gave me an invitation to join his staff. And so there was a process that took place and yet I was already 30 years of age, so I didn't have the advantage of going to Bible school and seminary, having a growing family at that point. So my journey to ministry was a little bit different. But there was just this sense, this strong calling that God had placed on my life for ministry. Mm. And, uh, and it has proved out over the mm. years to to be a successful opportunity for me to serve the body of Christ mm -hmm. in pastoral ministry. I can think of someone else famous who started at 30. Yes. <laughs> I know that you're uncomfortable with that comparison, but just, just to show uh, the, uh, the number thing really doesn't mean much. It's more just, it's, it, but that's all God's will though, isn't it? That's right. It was all his design to bring you to that point at that point in your life. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know if you were asked this a lot. Uh, usually little kids will ask this. They'll say, what do you do, you know, when, when you're a pastor? What do you do anyway? And it's impossible to answer that question quickly. Um, but what do you think are some of the differences between the perceptions maybe that folks in our churches have about being a pastor versus the realities of being a pastor? Yeah, I think that's that's a good comparison and something to look at because I had a friend in my church, in the church that I pastored. Uh, he's now with the Lord, but he used to say to me, Pastor, one of these days I'm going to get myself a good job like you have hmm. because you work only on Sundays and Wednesdays, <laughs> right. and even that's questionable. <laughs> well, he was such a good friend that he could um, say those things, but I think Vic illustrated something and that is that many people have a misperception of what pastoral ministry is about. Sure. They see the glory. You know, mm. a guy who stands before a congregation who holds somewhat of an esteemed position within the body of Christ, they see him delivering the Word of God. Mm. And for many people, they are immersed in the Word of God and would love to have maybe that opportunity they see the popularity that the pastor has. They see the esteem with which he is held in the eyes of even young people within the congregation. But that really isn't pastoral ministry. Mm. Pastoral ministry, as you well know, is, is much deeper than that. There's dealing with the issues day to day of, of church finance and church mm. administration and other fiscal responsibilities that take place. 
there's, there are the issues of seeing people within your congregation who are hurting and in many cases are going through times of depression or times of marital distress or difficulties with raising their children and they look to you for counsel. And let me tell you, mm. that keeps you on your knees, mm. um, if nothing else does, to try to give the kind of counsel that God would want them to have in a moment like that. They don't see the times at two in the morning when you receive the call and it's time to go to the hospital. Yeah. Or the moments when you're gathered around a sick bed and you are witnessing the transition from mm. this life to life eternal mm. in, in a patient who has been faithful to your church. Mm. So there are a lot of demands on the pastor that aren't seen on Sunday morning. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I have a friend, someone I worked with, but he started in, um, in the manufacturing world. He, he did that for a long time and then ended up becoming a pastor. Mm. And one of the things he told me was, uh, he said, you know, the biggest difference between the two, I never took my first job home with me. Mm. And when I clocked out, I was done. And there really is very little clocking out in pastoral ministry, even if you've designed to clock out. Uh, we are accessible to our people, and or at least we should be. And I realize there are good boundaries to set up there, but... It's not like other, it's just not like other jobs. No, and that's so true. You you go home at night, and you try to divest yourself mm. from some of the things that you experience during the day, because you have a family, you have other relationships to cultivate, but it's always there in the back of your mind, and I think that creates a difficulty for many pastors because. Mm of the fact that you never totally divorce yourself from your job. There's no set time when the day is over and your leisure time begins or your family time begins. Yeah, there is um, there is like a weight, isn't there? Just a spiritual weight that a pastor carries that you don't carry in very many other professions. And it's uh, call it spiritual warfare, call it the burden uh, whatever that is, that's, it is that thing that's on your shoulders. And, and yes, and can goes. you imagine our Lord, yeah. the, the, the load that he carried yeah. and uh, the times that he spent in the garden praying or elsewhere praying when his disciples um, were not faithful to do so mm. because of the burden that he was carrying. What are some of the best things about being a pastor? Oh, I loved being a pastor. Mm. To me, it was the highest calling. In mm. fact, um, my uh, superior, our district superintendent, when they invited me to, to join them to build and operate the Heartland Conference Retreat Center, he said, uh, aren't you glad? And, and he said, also, you know, your church must be proud of you to be elevated to this position. And my response probably floored him because I said, oh, brother, the pastorate is the highest of the callings. Mm. Uh, this is subservient to that. Mm. And uh, I think I bursted his bubble a little bit, but the mm. truth of the matter is that uh, pastoring is a high calling, and I loved it. I love the people. Relationships with people are so meaningful. And uh, if you're not a people person, you don't belong in the pastorate because mm. you'll deal with them. I heard one, somebody say one time, the greatest thing that he loved about pastoring was people. 
And the least thing that he enjoyed about pastoring was people. <laughs> and it just shows that we're so, um, you know, so fallible in so many yeah. ways. And then secondly, I think I like preaching. Anybody mm. who has a pastoral gift, I think, enjoys the challenges and the mechanics and the delivery of a message that you know touches the heart. Mm. I was a school teacher before, and I mm. enjoyed those verbal gifts that I had in teaching. Mm. But it's a little different with pastoring. In that sense, you're really dealing with the eternal destiny and the discipleship of people and the nurturing of individuals. And for me, uh, preaching was so fulfilling. And then thirdly, I think I miss, as a retired minister, the disciplines of pastoring, mm. of getting up at a certain time in the morning mm. and being at the office and spending time with the Lord and all of the other things. It's not that I don't do that today, but you know, in, in retirement, it's more laid back. Mm. But in the ministry, there was always the discipline that was needed to, in, in my early ministry, to prepare two messages for Sundays and Wednesday and yeah. Sunday school and occasionally a speaking opportunity outside my church. And so the disciplines of ministry, though they were rigorous, and in retirement, I enjoy not having the rigor. Right. I still miss the discipline that goes with uh, pastoral ministry. Okay, that's interesting. Can you um, can you give me an example, maybe, of someone in your ministry? Because you know, we the reason we do this is we want to see lives changed. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And we we also realize <laughs> the longer we do it, how little of a role we play in them being changed. Uh, I think sometimes I've made myself a little bit higher than I ought. Oh, you know, we all do. Right? And you, and you recognize that Jesus is the one who, who changes in the Holy Spirit's operation. Having said all that, though, you are God's representative there to help people come to a different place. Can you think of somebody in your ministry that stands out to you as, wow, there's a, there's a life that was changed? Yeah, I think there are probably a lot of those uh, people who were, were healed, um, touched by God in their lives physically or emotionally, individuals that you prayed for that you thought really would never come to faith in Christ, and they did, and such a profound change. But there's an individual that I'm thinking of in particular as I answer this question, uh, a man in my church who, uh, he and his family came regularly. They were uh, functionally a part of our congregation. And one day he made the appointment that probably most pastors hate to have. And that was the appointment when he came to tell me he was leaving my church. Hmm. And in my heart, I was devastated that yeah. this family was leaving. And they, they just wanted something more, so hmm. he said. And, hmm. and my heart was somewhat broken in that. But Inside, I knew that I needed to release this individual. You know, that he really wasn't my sheep, he was the Lord's. And right. he, could, he could worship the Lord and serve God in another church just as well. Mm. So I released him. Mm. He went on to, to a, a close church, a church close by, and, and, and met with that congregation for a period of time. Mm. But he just wasn't satisfied there. And then he went 
to another congregation that turned out to be the congregation where I was mentored and prepared for ministry. And he still wasn't satisfied, yet I knew the pastors of these congregations were wonderful preachers and their churches were wonderful congregations. And about two years later, he came back to me, hmm. came back with uh, an admission, not really an apology, but an admission that he thought the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. Sure. And he had sampled it and found out that God really spoke to his heart that he needed to be back in our fellowship. Hmm. And over time, I watched him grow and develop and to become discipled. And he became a part of our church board. Mm, wow. And then he was elevated to the position of secretary of the board and became probably the finest Christian man who would serve in that capacity that I ever served with. He upheld my arms in ministry. He had the heart of the congregation at mine. And it was a process, but, oh, I so appreciate the way that, that God enabled us to gracefully release them and, and then to have their family come back and be such an integral and a formative part of our congregation. That's so cool. And it's a, it's a story you don't hear that often. It's usually, well, you never hear the they came back story. <laughs> Occasionally you do. But even if they do, it, it's almost like it's diminished and it never, you know, either the pastor still doesn't trust him or the person comes back and feels sheepish about being gone so long. Right. So it's just great to see that all the way around, you know, for both you and him, it was so redemptive. Um, and maybe you're the one, but it seems like every pastor I've ever known wanted to quit at some point. Mm. Um, for you, uh, and you be as specific as you like, um, Tell us about a, a season like that and, you know, maybe just wanting to get into the marketplace and do the clock out at five thing. How did you get through that? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, um, some years ago, I was in my graduate studies at the University of Akron, and, um, and I was studying to receive my degree in local school superintendency. And while I was going through that program, there was a two-hour course at the end that was really an easy course. It was a, a course where you would follow and mirror the work of a successful superintendent of schools someplace. And uh, then you wrote just kind of a perfunctory paper about your experience. Well, I went to the department head and I said, I'd like to be excused from that course and maybe substitute another course in its place. And he said to me, why in the world would you want to do that? And I said, here's the reason. I know that pastoral ministry um, has times of pressure and difficulty that may lead to my feeling of wanting to resign. And I want to burn a bridge. Mm. He said, you do understand that if you waive this course, you can never be certified in the state of Ohio. Mm. And I said, I understand that, but I want to burn that bridge ahead of time. Well, little did I realize that in 1984, 
my ministry, which had been a honeymoon ministry, came <laughs> to a conclusion. <laughs> and it did uh, partially due to my own uh, making. We were in a church building program. The building program had become protracted um, because there wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough manpower. I took those frustrations on and probably took them out against my congregation, which I should have mm, never done. Yeah. But at the same time, we were also interning an individual uh, that we were preparing for a church plant. And so he was on our staff and we had uh, him involved in his training. Uh, then I had a youth pastor that was very successful and a joy to work with, but announced his resignation. Mm. And then on top of that, um, uh, another man in my church who was studying for the ministry uh, was given an opportunity to take a church nearby. Mm. And so a large part of my congregation went to join with him. Mm. Well, here you have all these feelings and, and this difficulty mm. uh, of life coming in upon me, like a flood, really, you know, mm. from different avenues, uh, the loss of a staff member, the training of another, a church uh, that was being served by someone who was integrally part of my congregation, the waning building program. And let me tell you, the weight and the burden of that came in on me. And I was ready to, to leave, to mm. quit, to stop, to get out of ministry. Yeah. And believe it or not, the thing that really helped me most was that the Lord reminded me, you burned the bridge. Mm. Way back then, mm. you said... You, you uh, wanted that course waived, and you would not be certified as a local school superintendent. By the way, that job as a superintendent probably would have been twice the salary oh, I'm I sure. was making at yeah, that point sure. in time. And maybe half the grief. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe. Depends. But, but I also, uh, Matt, uh, went into a time of depression as mm. a result of it. Mm. And probably like many pastors, and I, I hope you're not there if you're listening to this today mm. and, and feeling what I felt, almost despise the people that God called you mm. to serve. Mm. And I wanted out. Mm. Uh, so I started to look around, look at my options. And don't you know, this is just like the enemy. Yeah. Because an opportunity for a large church in Michigan came my way. Mm. And I thought, this is it. This is it. My wife and I and one of my small children drove off to that church, looked over the community, unbeknownst to that congregation, walked inside the church building, walked around. And then it was pretty silent on the way home until finally I broke the silence and I said to my wife, this isn't meant to be. And sure enough, um, that church was offered to someone else. It was a short time later that a district superintendent left in Wisconsin, or I mean the pastor left to become the district superintendent, I should say. Mm. And, uh, and that congregation had interviewed 62 people, and they decided on a candidate, and oh my goodness, the candidate was not voted in. Mm. And so I received a subsequent call to come mm. and again uh, was tempted, but did not take the position. And there was a third church during that time. The Lord continually reminded me that uh, this is where I planted you. 
Okay. And you burned the bridges. Mm. And, uh, and, and I just didn't know how I was going to go about it. But thank the Lord in my life, there were people in my congregation who loved me in spite of my bitterness mm. during that moment. Mm. And one of those individuals uh, directed me to a book. Uh, it's probably antiquated now, but it was called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. Oh, yeah. Great book. What a great book. And it, it, it refreshed my spirit and got my thinking reoriented. And almost at the same time, another young woman in my congregation who I knew since she was a little girl gave me a book um, by Jack Hayford called Rebuilding the Real You. Hmm. It was a takeoff on build, rebuilding the walls by Nehemiah. Okay. But it was really a comparison of how the Holy Spirit can rebuild our lives. Mm. And you know, those things transformed me. Mm. And um, I began to look at ministry with renewed energy and vision. Mm. And, and God began to set my feet on a, on a good path as we um, experienced healing in the congregation and healing in this pastor's heart too. So yes, mm. I had those times of wanting to quit ministry, but being refreshed by the Lord also. And when I think about the uh, landscape of ministry today, and I see just by virtue of statistical information, more and more pastors are coming into this from dysfunctional backgrounds. Um, there's more divorce, there's more everything that's bad. <laughs> and I, I speak as someone in that category. There were things that I had to, um, I had to get to the bottom of. I didn't know it at the time until a number of years into ministry that damage had been done. And, 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 and again, it's not always this case, but I, I think with it, we're seeing really some tragic stories. We're, we're seeing uh, pastors who are even taking their own life. And uh, it, usually that, I would say, goes with the feeling of being trapped in some way. Uh, I don't know if you've even experienced that as far as speaking to another pastor. I know you've mentioned going through it yourself. Um, if there is a pastor listening to this today, and they're really, I mean, they're just really in a funk, um, and they're not sure there's a way out, um, what, uh, what sort of advice would you give to them? Boy, my heart, first of all, goes out to people like that. You know, pastoral ministry, as we talked about before, is, is a burden as well as a joyous calling. Mm -hmm. And the weight of that burden can come in so much on you that you feel at times desperate, mm. you feel at times despondent, you feel like you just haven't measured up. Maybe if you're married, you feel like you've let your spouse down. Mm. Or perhaps congregants um, uh, come to you and they always have a criticism. Oh, it's always constructive, of course, but it hurts just <laughs> yeah. as much, the criticism that they give. And and you feel sometimes at the end of your rope. I can identify that with that. I. Yeah. I think I know how people feel, but I don't know the point of desperation that brings them to suicide. Yeah. I, I suppose that in this dysfunctional world we live in, any advice that I would give is to 
to find a, a pastor mm. that you have confidence in who can mentor you, mm. I'm almost certain that you're going to discover two things. First of all, you're going to discover the fallibility of the mentor. Mm. And, <laughs> and that is refreshing in itself that's, to find out wow, that, that he doesn't have everything together. <laughs> Because you don't have everything together either. Right. And so being exposed to someone like that and developing kind of a love relationship with that individual, honoring them because of their pastoral gift, but now understanding that they're just as human as you are, uh, that can be a, a source of great encouragement to you. Secondly, besides a mentoring relationship, you know, uh, I think, Promise Keepers some years ago came up with the idea that every man ought to have three men in his life, a Paul, uh, someone to mentor you, a Barnabas, someone to come alongside you and encourage you, mm. and a Timothy, someone you can pour into. Mm. And so I guess the second word of advice I would get is befriend some others who uh, maybe are colleagues in ministry, and if not colleagues in ministry, perhaps congregants or friends who will be honest with you and, and, and will struggle with you during your time of difficulty. And then thirdly, having someone to pour your life into, mm. um, not just the congregation, but someone that you care about, that you can mentor and help along the way. What that does, it takes some of the focus off of yourself and your own capabilities. Mm and uh, puts it first of all on the Lord and then secondly on someone else that you care about. Have you also had this experience that when you're mentoring somebody, it almost, you can almost hear the Holy Spirit coming in and saying, <laughs> I've had these moments where I'm, I'm giving, I'm listening, I'm giving counsel, encouraging, and the Holy Spirit will be like, like, <clears throat> <laughs> he's like, hey, guess what, Matt? I've been trying to tell you this for a while. And the, the mentoring thing almost becomes a beautiful parallel for the God and you relationship mm. in a way. And you realize, oh, yeah, God's trying to mentor me. And how am I doing with that? Absolutely. I, I think that is so, is so true that when you're mentoring, the object is that you're pouring into somebody else. But in reality, the mentoree is pouring into you as yeah, well, yeah. and especially the Holy Spirit of God is using those teachable moments to mm. refresh you and minister to your heart as well. Oh, boy, that is so true. We And we pastors aren't always, we're really lousy at making friends. <laughs> <laughs> we are. You know, I think part of it is, yeah, oh, so when you're pastoring, people want information from you that you cannot give. And sometimes in a weak moment, you can share the wrong thing with the wrong person. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've known people all throughout who are well-meaning people and often fashion themselves as, quote, friends of the pastor. And almost, you know, postured themselves as we can handle, you know, pastor, if you ever need to talk, you know. And if you have one experience like that and you get burned from it, you know, I, from this point on, all you hear is your Miranda rights. <laughs> and anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of church. You know what I mean? And so it really makes pastors to pull inward inside their shell. Um, 
we're just so bad at it. Um, but I think so much of it comes to, honestly, in prayer. I've, I've advised people, ask God to connect you with the right people. Don't just mm-hmm. go with who, who advertises themselves that way. Um, and uh, it, because God wants us. He wants us to be healed as pastors. He wants us to be whole. He doesn't want us to live in isolation. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's such a hard lesson to learn, especially when you've had to learn it the hard way. Yeah, and I think um, there are so many expectations for a pastor. Mm. And, uh, and after a while, we believe them. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem, yeah. you know. We believe in those things, and then mm. we think that we have to be super secure, mm. that we have to have the answer to every, every dilemma, every problem, every question. And that really isn't what it's all about. We just need to live our lives mm. as a godly example and then choose wisely, as you said, those people that will pour into our lives and we can pour into theirs as well. Totally. Um, one last question. I, and I know people have different um, opinions about legacy. And some say we make too big of a deal out of it. Others say it's absolutely necessary and a part of who we are. Is there a legacy that you would like to have whenever, you know, 50 years from now, when you're in the Lord's presence, uh, is there a legacy you'd like to leave behind? Well, I think so. Um, You know, several years ago, I taught school. And on the last day when we had regular classes, I would always give a little speech to my senior students. And, um, and the other students were, of course, in the classroom, the juniors and the sophomores, and, and they would listen to this speech. And you know what? After the first year, the, the juniors who then became seniors would say, are you going to give us the speech? <laughs> and then the year after that. But essentially what I would talk to those young men about, this was an all-boys school, hmm. was that uh, the thing that was most important in their life was that one day people would perceive that they truly served their God and served others with distinction. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't really matter what our calling in life is. We want to leave a legacy of a life well lived. Mm -hmm. Let me say I'm grateful because God has enabled me to nurture a family. And my legacy is living on through my progeny. Mm. My son today has taken up the mantle and is pastoring a church in West Virginia. Mm. In fact, this coming Sunday, we'll have the joy of being in that congregation. And watching him as he has blossomed and grown in his own ministry and the lives that he's touching, I realize has become part of my legacy. And then more recently, having a grandson who stepped up and now he too has uh, felt a call of God on his life. Mm. You can tell that's emotional for me. I'll bet. But it's a living legacy. Yeah. But if I could just leave one thing, maybe the epitaph on my tombstone, Mm. a life well lived. That would be so joyous to know Mm. that my life was well lived. Mm. My life verse, by the way, is 1 Corinthians 4, 2. 
And I'll quote from the King James, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Mm. If I could just be found faithful in God's eyes and in the eyes of others, it will have meant so much. Until that day, when you hear it right from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. Pastor Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Pastor. It's been great. And I trust you enjoyed this, what I think, penetrating interview with Pastor Roger Larison, and trust that pastors and even non-pastors out there have been encouraged uh, by what you've heard today. And we appreciate you being a part of the Matcast. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.